Hey friends, it's me, Tangia Renee with That's What She Did Podcast, and I am excited to introduce you to our episode sponsor, History Colorado. I love a great museum, and History Colorado is one of my favorites. At eight museums across Colorado, including the Center for Colorado Women's History in Denver, the team at History Colorado wants you to discover a personal and powerful connection. Plus, their incredible Bold Women Change History series is coming back this fall of 2021. Their members support local artists and designers, after-school programs for working families, and educators working with at-risk youth. Find your history at historycolorado.org. Hey there, Inspiration Junkies. It's me, Tangia Renee. And before we get to the show, I'm going to quickly ask for a favor. If you're a fan of the show, we could really use your support. We have a big goal of building resources that will help more women of color and non-binary people amplify their work and leverage the power of their stories through guest blogging and vlogging and storytelling and PR training. We need to do two simple things to make that happen. Continue to grow our audience so we can get more stories into more ears and fund a new website that makes blogging, vlogging, and training possible and easy. Now, there's two simple ways that you can help us out right now and help make that happen. First, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually do go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile and leave us a written review, they help even more. The second thing you can do is go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tangia Renee and simply buy the show a coffee. It's that simple. All proceeds from Buy Me a Coffee go towards amplifying the voices of more brilliant women. Really simple, easy peasy, just the way I like it. Leave us a review and consider buying us a coffee. Thanks so much for your support and for continuing to share our work. Smooches! You're listening to That's What She Did Podcast. I'm your host, Tangia Renee. That's What She Did Podcast is a show about the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you probably don't already know. And I'm crazy excited to have you here because this is season seven, the Movement Makers edition. All season long, we're bringing you incredible, impactful women who are finding cool and innovative ways to move their communities forward. They're creating movements one way or another. I'm so excited to have you here. If you find value here, please consider sharing this show with your friends because that helps us grow and head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Tangia Renee and you can buy the show a coffee. All proceeds for this show go to amplifying the voices of more impactful women. Thank you for joining us and let's get started. Hey friends, it's me, Tangia Renee, dropping in with a quick reminder. Season seven is almost coming to a close. We only have two episodes and I've enjoyed it so much. I hope you have as well, but that means that we are getting ready to start production for season eight of the show. Yes, season eight. I can hardly believe it. It's got to be some kind of milestone, but every season I love to come to you for help because I need to know who we should be talking to on the show. So the theme for next season is She Knows Money. We're talking to women of color across the globe who know all aspects of money. That means that we will be talking about how to get money, what to do with that money when you get that money, and how to get more of it. The entire season is geared towards building generational wealth. So we need to know who to talk to. If you or someone you know is an expert on making money, getting more money, and building generational wealth, then we want to know about it. Send your pitch to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com. And if we have a slot for you on the show, we'll let you know and we will reach out and set that up. Now, I want to introduce you to this week's guest, Dash Harris Machado. She's a multimedia producer, doula, consultant, and entrepreneur based in Panama. She's the co-founder of Afro-Latinx Travel and the producer of Negro, 
a docu-series about Latino identity exploring Afro-diasporic and Black identity in the historical and present-day class, race, and color complex among Latinxes. She's also co-producer of two podcasts, Cumbia Afro Die Stories and Radio Caña Negra. She also offers trainings, workshops, coaching on dismantling anti-Blackness and Latinx communities. I love talking to Dash on the show, and she was maybe the guest I was most excited to speak to. We had an interesting conversation about the word Latina that I think uh, we should all be thinking about. So let's get to it. Welcome back to That's What She Did podcast. I'm so, so thrilled to introduce you all to Dash Harris Machado. She is the co-founder of Afro-Latino Travel, among other things. She's an award-winning journalist, a podcaster, an activist, a docu-series producer, so, so many things. And I doubt we're going to have time to get into all of that today. But nonetheless, I'm so happy to have you here with us today, Dash. Thanks so much for making time. Thank you for inviting me. But I think we will get to everything I do because it's all connected. Okay, good. Like everything, is, it, it informs one another. So okay, perfect. That's always great. <laughs> perfect. So this season, as you know, we are have the pleasure of bringing women on the show who are creating movements in some form or another across the globe. And I've been following Afro-Latino Travel on Instagram for a little while now. I don't recall how it came to my attention. It might have been a listener. So I, I crowdsource guests quite often. And usually listeners will tag me like on Instagram and be like, you should follow this person. And so I'm pretty sure that's how I became aware of Afro-Latino Travel. And was just really interested in the idea of combining one's love for travel with learning about the diaspora and all that that entails. So I'd love to hear where the idea for Afro-Latino travel came from and what was sort of the process or catalyst moment for co-founding it. Mm, I, I don't know if there was one particular moment. I think more so for Afro-Latino travel it was that I wanted to, you know, the saying I could show you better than I could tell you, right? Mm-hmm. We've all heard that that saying, at least, you know, in our communities, right? I could show you better, better than I can tell you as it related to Afro-descendant and Black people within the Latin American and Caribbean region. Afro-Latina travel came about after starting my docuseries, Negro, docuseries about Latinx identity, which is a little over 10 years old by now. And so that series centers Black people in Latin America. It talks about the colonial heritage and foundations of the racial hierarchy that is in the, re- in the region, racial politics, the p- pigmentocracy, and the history of the African diaspora and contemporary lives of Black people in Latin America. And I made a bunch of connections lifelong friends, colleagues, teammates, collaborators, co-conspirators that I have kept in touch till today, 10 years later. And so in traveling throughout these different countries, the first few countries that I went to when I embarked on my docuseries were the countries with the highest um, percentage of Afro-descendants, which, so I went to Colombia first. I went to Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. I didn't go to Cuba until way later because it it was just, it was a little bit harder 10 years ago. I mean, people still went and it was possible, but it was just a little bit harder or challenging. And so throughout my travels, and I'm Panamanian, US, I live in Panama. My parent, my Both of my parents are Panamanian. Both of them are Black Panamanian. I grew up with a very strong foundation in my Blackness, particularly from my mother. My mother was very adamant about us knowing about our history and being able to stand on our two feet as Black people in this world and being our full selves. And so when I decided to, I, I, I was working in mainstream news. I was working at one of the media corporations. And I started the docuseries because it was something that I had wanted to do for, for a long time, since I was a kid. And so the first place that I went to before I decided to do the docuseries 
was actually a vacation, a little um, girl's trip, me and my best friend, we went to Brazil. And I, because I worked in news, because I worked in media, and just, I just always had the habit of carrying around a video camera. That was before the phones had all the video and all the capabilities. So I had my little mini camera and I remember Black Brazilian men engaging us in the street about race politics in Brazil. And I thought that was very interesting and very strange because it was carnival. Like, it's carnaval. Why? Why? Like, everybody's getting lit. Everybody's turning up. Like, why are we <laughs> talking about this right now, right? Although my, my, I and my friend were game for it. Like, that's fine. We can talk about it. But I noted that it was just so important for him to talk to us about it in that moment that I'm like, wow, okay. Things that I have always felt and thought and talked about, other people are feeling and talking about as well whether in the U.S. or outside of the U.S. And so he was our, he was my first interviewee, he was impromptu, and he was saying how he identified or he was proud that Obama was the president of the United States. And he said that he doesn't think that, they, that he would see a Black president in Brazil in his lifetime. And so all of the, the problematics of Obama aside, because that's a whole nother podcast. Sure. <laughs> um, he was speaking to the symbolism of a black person in an authority or authoritative position. And he said that he just doesn't see that happening in Brazil. And so I edited that first video and I decided to go and interview black people in other countries. That's simply what it was. I had already I, my family maintains ties to Panama. My mother's entire family still lives here. Mm -hmm. Um, My father too. And so I was always going back and forth to Panama. Again, I live here. This is the second time I'm living here as an adult. And so when I went to places like Colombia and, and I was seeking out the neighborhoods, the regions, the areas where black people live predominantly, for example, when I I went to Cartagena, I wanted to, to go to the self-emancipated African town, Afro-descended town of San Basilio de Palenque. And I would ask people in Cartagena, what are the instructions to, to get to the town? Because I needed to get there. <laughs> so, right. And directions. And everybody was like, everybody, everybody, every person that I asked about it said, ooh, why do you want to go there? Ooh, it's dangerous. Ooh, it's crime infested. Being a Black person, I already knew these were code words for mm-hmm. ooh. There's too many Blacks over there. I already knew that very intimately because these are the same words and terms that people say about my parents' hometown in Panama. And so I already knew what that was. And so I I ended up, you know, getting on a bus. Um, I was was actually with my best friend again. She's been with me throughout my travels. And I got on the bus that they they sent me to take this bus. I got on it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So this bus goes to San Basilio de Palenque, but I don't know what to do once we get off the bus because my my intimate knowledge of Latin America is the bus doesn't take you exactly to where you need to go. It takes you to the vicinity, right? Right. And so I'm like, I need to know the steps. And also I'm a Virgo. So I'm like, I need to know the steps beforehand, you know? And so what I did, and this is exactly how it happened. I saw a black woman on the bus and I went, next to her. And I said, excuse me. Hi. Introduce myself. I'm like, hey, so we want to go to this town. Can you tell us how to get there? And she was like, yeah, my my cousin is a tour guide. Like, let me call him, set it up. Because Black women resolve things. Like, that's just the bottom line. And so I already knew by going and asking her that I was going to get, I was going to achieve my goal <laughs> because it's it's always that humanity and that community and that kinship and that assistance and love. So anyway, I was like, long story short, but I'm making the story long. But long story short, I went to these various places in Latin America. Every single time I needed directions to get to these Black areas, it was met with these very anti-Black beliefs. Specifically in Colombia, people would say, oh, you want to go there? I'm like, do you know what people say about Colombia (laughs) as a whole? (laughs) And here you are punching down, right? And so I'm like, yeah, okay. So <laughs> so with the, the various connections uh, that I made and the, the, the things that I, I observed, the practices and the beliefs rooted in anti-Blackness, I said, okay, Black folks everywhere have stories to tell. We have history to share. We are everything, right? And so I'm like, it would be great to get more, to get Black people to these Black areas, just, and whatever that means to turn up, to have fun, 
to see other black people. It could be to learn the history, whatever it is. And that's why that's the, the place that I started from. Yes, absolutely. I am very much history. I love history. I love learning about it. I love sharing about it. I love the cultural aspects. All of that is amazing. And sometimes you just want to hang out with your people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like sometimes you just want to chill. Right. And so I understand that as well. Whether it's we, we do a presentation on the history of the drum, for example, the history of the, the Bata drum in Cuba. That's great. And also the fellow, it's the fellowship that the Afro descendants have, we have with one another. And so Negro, my docuseries led me into Afro-Latinx travel because <laughs> I, I tapped into that same network of people that I interviewed, that I kept in contact with. And some of them became guides on the tours that we, that we were doing pre-pandemic. And these are people who are traditionally locked out of the tourism sector in their countries. The major reason being that the country is anti-Black, it's racist, and all of any type of opportunity that makes a decent amount of money is not reserved for Black people, period. Mm -hmm. And so who better to tell you about their country and their customs and their language and whatever culture than people who live it? Because you're not going to go to, let's say you go to the States or really anywhere, actually, anywhere to learn about culture and you're going to learn it from a white person, that just doesn't, it just doesn't, two plus, it's not adding up. Right. (laughs) It's two plus, I don't know what number because it's not adding up. And so for too, too often when people travel and that's anyone um, from the States, from the, from Europe, it's often the whitest person representing the country. Yeah. That's just, what they choose. It's not a coincidence. We know it's not a coincidence. They have an agenda and a face to sell, right? And so Black people only come into play in the tourism sectors in Latin America for folkloric stuff, for food, for those prescribed roles of Blackness and never anything beyond that. Black people are not represented as multidimensional, as multifaceted. And the the thing is, I said this, I I say this often, I did not learn about most of the anti-Black stereotypes and stigmas until I reached into adulthood, till Mm -hmm. I I went to, or I guess maybe the later years of high school and college, that those type of stereotypes, like Black people can't swim. I was like, I didn't know, I didn't know that. I didn't know of them. I didn't hear it. Everyone that, every Black person that I know can swim, you know, it's not to say that, it's not to essentialize Blackness either. It's to show that there are different experiences, various experiences of Blackness throughout the globe. And so with people folklorizing Black people, that was very foreign to me. Because like I said, I had a very conscientious, a conscious upbringing, specifically for my mom. My mom was very adamant. And so I wanted to show people my normal. I wanted to show people my norm is Black people doing whatever, whatever, fill in the blank, right? Um, Whatever it is, we're there. And when we talk about Latinos in the U.S., again, my norm are Latin Americans that are Black, (laughs) period. So when people were confused, growing up, when people were confused, oh, you speak Spanish, Oh, your parents are from Panama. You could see the the wheels turning and people don't understand. And I didn't feel that I got tired of explaining myself, <laughs> explaining my exis- existence. And so anyway, all of that to say, Negro docuseries about Latinx identity and Afro-Latinx travel, they are linked mm-hmm. in many ways. They One led to the other. And all of that at its center, it wasn't centering Black people and our experiences. I'd like to introduce you to one of my favorite places on the internet, the Free Body Society, an online apparel store that creates empowering t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, and accessories to inspire women to be bold and embrace their bodies, no matter their size. The Free Body Society is on a mission to ensure all women feel powerful and free in their bodies. From the perfect breathable tank for your next workout to a cozy crop top hoodie for those days when you want to make a statement or simply lounge it out, the Free Body Society has you covered. Personally, the super soft hoodies are my favorite. In fact, I'm wearing my curvy AF hoodie right now. I've never felt anything softer on my skin. 
anytime I wear it out, I get a ton of compliments. And I love wearing the hoodies to the gym or out running errands because they just make a statement and draw people in. Any of the tops can be dressed up with a cute full skirt, jeans, and a blazer, or just throw on a tank and be workout ready. The options are endless. For being a listener of the That's What She Did podcast, you get 15% off your first purchase, plus free shipping on any order over $35. All you have to do is use code SHEDID at checkout, and the discounts are all yours. That's code SHEDID at checkout. Don't forget to head over to freebodysociety.com today and hit that discount code. Smooches! I feel like we need that in the in the United States as well. I mean, I can't, you know, it makes me think of Louisiana and specifically New Orleans. And my husband and I went to New Orleans for my birthday one year, like earlier in our, in our marriage. So it was like not long after I had graduated from college. And I at that point I, I was aware of anti-Blackness, but not at the level I am now. I'm mixed. I'm Black and Latina. And so I was always aware of it, right, on a certain level. But I didn't have probably the, the level of education or the language around it that I have now. We went to New Orleans, and we wanted to do a history tour of the city. And we could not find a Black tour guide. Mm. There just weren't any. It was all white guys, literally white guys. Mm-hmm. And we thought that was weird, but didn't really give it that much thought. <laughs> we were just like, well, okay, I guess we'll we'll do this tour. And then they do the plantation tours down there. And we were looking at some of the pamphlets and, and they were characterizing the plantation tours as like, come see the beautiful grounds. Yeah. And we were like, this is, these were slaveholders. Like, what's beautiful about that? And there were no tours that we could find anyway at that time. This was several years ago that were about the actual history, about what actually happened in this region and on these properties. And we were just like, hell no, we ain't going to to no plantation so that they can talk to us about carriages and trees and like, silverware or whatever when we know that probably under in that shed over there they were killing people it was just outrageous to me and so and it's still I think there's probably more consciousness happening but I don't think it's I don't think it's that common honestly yeah it's it's basically take a tour of a concentration camp that's and I don't need to see a concentration camp I don't need to be in these spaces I think now you said you you went a a few years back there's more now as people start to speak up louder, right? Because I feel that Black people have been in these spaces. They just were not, they were stifled and muffled and hidden, right? Because mm-hmm. at my co-founder, Javier Wallace, he is from Austin. He's, he's Panamanian U.S. And he gives Black Austin tours. And so he's been doing a damn thing. Very proud of him. He's great. His family has lived in the Austin area for hundreds of years, He was part of Africans that were trafficked into Texas through Mexico. And his mother's family is from Freedmen's Colony. And so he has hundreds of years of knowledge and family ties to the area. And it's amazing that he gets, he's telling his history. You're talking about history. He's also talking about his family history. And I think that is extremely important that people speak from their own experiences, from their own histories. And so... That's why it's, it's, it's important that we have, when you go to, to, to any of these countries, that it's actual Black people from there that live there that can tell you what goes on, what doesn't go on, so on and so forth. And so, yeah, I think you said something interesting where you said that you're Black and Latina. And I often say to people, you said a race and you said a ge- geographical a geog- Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yes, I struggle I'm with these terms. No, not I'm not coming yes. at you, but <laughs> no. I do this for a living. That's this is exactly what I do for a living because we give workshops. Yeah, on exactly this, we give workshops on history. Javier and I give workshops on his, Black history and contemporary life in the Americas, and then also with my collective Gallo Caña Negra, which is comprised of us. It's three women who are Central American, Black Central Americans, and we also give workshops on anti-Blackness mm-hmm. among. Um, 
Latinx people. And so when people say, yeah, I'm Black and Latino, I'm like, so do you mean that you're, you're Black and then the Latin American parent is non-Black? So then, and then it's like the breaking it down, unpacking yeah. it. Like, okay, so you meant to say, or rather, no, you don't do it like that. We say, so is it that you have one parent who, an example, you have one parent who is African-American from the U.S., and you have a parent who is white mestizo or indigenous descended from Latin America. And we just go through the steps of that because it's always this. And I understand, I understand there are certain habits that, that are just normalized, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so when people say, like, for example, um, one of the people I interviewed for my docu-series, his mom is Chilean. She's from Chile. She's a white woman. Um, and and her, his dad is... I believe a mixed race Mexican person. I never met his dad. I met his mom. And he was telling me that when he was little and his mom used to push him in the stroller, he has today, he has an Afro. He has a big curly hair. And people would say, oh, is the, is his dad black? (laughs) Because he's a white woman pushing this, I guess, brown baby. And she would say, no, he's Mexican. And he told me that story. And I'm like, she didn't answer the question. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? She's saying the, because, the country he's descended from, right. location, so not his right. action. Yeah. Right. And the thing is, his name is Ivan. He's in the docuseries. And we're still friends till this, till this day. And he was he got put in my docuseries accidentally because I was in Canada. I was in Toronto for a film fest. And I went to his restaurant. He was in a restaurant, Maisel, in Toronto, which is amazing. Shout out to Maisel. And so he has this big curly hair, right? And he said, we met and he's like, yeah, I'm Mexican. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, are you Afro-Mexican? And he paused. He was and like, what? <laughs> he paused. The thing is, it was great because he met that question with curiosity. And that's something that I encourage people to do, like with any type of emotion. And I saw this as a, as a quote on Twitter, actually. Meet your emotions with curiosity rather than pathologizing them. And so when I asked him, he was, he's paused and he tilted his head and he was like, hmm, maybe my grandma is from Oaxaca and she had an Afro. It's just that in his family, his father's side of the family, they never spoke about anything to do with blackness. Cause I'm not going to say they didn't speak about race because they did. Mm-hmm. You don't have to specifically say I am speaking about race to speak about race. You know what I'm saying? There are many ways to speak about race and many ways you can speak about race without speaking about it at all. And so he actually said that was the first time he reflected on that. And so right now, he now goes to a Jamaican woman that does his hair because he likes to keep it in an Afro. He grew it out and has it in an Afro. And he's like, wow, now he's investigating his family history and all of that. And so it's just one question (laughs) that prompted him to study his family history. And that's what we like to do. Yeah, no, I appreciate the conversation. I say that because it's the path of least resistance. It's... That's the truth. I, it's, it's like this thing where you don't want to go through yeah, your it. identity every single time, right? <laughs> so yeah. it's like, like, whatever. What does it mean? Right, I'm a and, peach, whatever you want. Whatever, who cares? Like, you know? And I find that the alternative to that, that people actually understand, and I would never refer to myself this way, but I see or I hear people saying this, is they don't want to go into the explanation. They're like, oh, I'm a mutt. And I'm like, I'm not referring to myself in that way. It feels so disrespectful. As a dog. Yes. <laughs> a dog. And I'm like, don't ever, don't ever. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm mixed. And then I feel like I have to qualify that, right, for the benefit of the other person. So right. I'm mixed, right. I'm Black, I'm Latina, because they understand I guess in in a box what each of those terms mean, but not the full sure. breadth mm-hmm. of what that actually means. So I think it's an important conversation. So I appreciate <laughs> that you <laughs> you called that out. But but yes, I hear you. It's those right. those things together. Yeah, yeah, like you have to qualify because people will say Afro Latino, right? Okay, that's cool. That's fine. And then say a non-Black Latino is just Latino, right? And I'm like, say the race of the other. If you're going to say I'm Afro-Latina, say the race of the white one. Mm -hmm. Say white Latina. Say it. (laughs) Because I do, right? Like Mm -hmm. when I'm going through 
day-to-day life in Latin America, we use these words. We, we talk about race. We say it. It's normalized, but people have this idea. That, and yes, it, it's been a lie peddled by actual Latin Americans, but also it shows how very little the U.S. knows and cares to know about Latin America. And this is, yeah. you know, this is from hundreds of years. And so the, the easiest way to, to, like you said, put people in a box is to oversimplify what actually happens. And so with these really bizarre ideas of Latin America, I'm always there to be the thorn in someone's side and, and say, no, 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 finish your sentence. No, no, no. What does that mean? Wait, I have questions. Wait, <laughs> explain this further. <laughs> yes, yes. I appreciate it. I think it needs to happen, right? We so often don't question the words that we use. We're just like, we're just walking around saying these things w- without any understanding of what does that actually mean and what is the impact of that history and those words, where did they come from? So I, I think it's really important. When you all founded Afro Latino Travel, did you get pushback around this idea of we're gonna organize these groups to go into these sort of quote unquote forgotten places or overlooked places or ignored places and bring that history forward? No, not really. We since the beginning we have always had positive. And commentary around our tours. I mean, the tours themselves, uh, the content, also the content that we post on our social media. And we have, we, there's always going to be the one or two or 10 anti-Black scumbags that say whatever they're saying, but I don't really care about that um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we've been listening to their opinions for the fa- past 500 years. So we don't make any space for anti-Blackness or any type of hegemonic points of views. We center Blackness and that's that. If you don't like it, which I'm sure a lot of people don't like it. There are millions of accounts to follow. There are thousands of tour companies to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have your choice of the marketplace. We've had people who have requested, for example, a tour in Cuba. And they'll say, I want the Afro-Cuba tour, but I don't want to learn anything about the religion, the Yoruba religion, or some people know it as Santeria. We don't want to know anything about, we don't want to know anything, any rit- ritualistic information. That's how they said it, which I was like, huh? Because I'm like, everything is a ritual. Like brushing your teeth is a ritual. But anyway, I don't have that kind of time on an email. So I was like, girl, let me tell you something. <laughs> you cannot understand Afro-Cuban history without understanding the spiritual. That's just what it is. If you would like a tour with us, there will be aspects of um, spirituality. And if you don't want to see it, there are a ton of other tour companies that you can utilize, but it's not going to be us. We're not compromising on that. So mm-hmm. see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I may need your money, but I don't want your money. Right. We're, not, we're not compromising on our goals and our mission. And really in representing our own selves because when we're talking about black history anywhere we are talking about ourselves it's not something we talk about 500 years or in the past the past is now history is now everything that we do comes from a root comes from a norm or a custom that was established and so i am i am standing in what i want the world to be and i think it's very you know it's cliche right but If I am claiming or purporting to center Blackness, I am not going to waver at any point in time. I don't care if you're waving $5 trillion in my face because what, and this is from my church days, what profit a man to inherit the earth, da 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 da. I pushed that part of my life down. I suppressed (laughs) it. But I still remember, I still remember certain things from Sunday school, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm not doing right by my communities, that is the ultimate fail for me. I'm not looking for approval from Whitey mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because that is exactly the approval that keeps us subjugated. So nah, I'm, you can get an Afro-Cuban tour without the spirituality portion, but it's not going to be with Afro-Latinx travel. So I'll see you later, girl. No hard feelings. I, I'll catch your pictures on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she came back and she said, no, 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 okay. We'll take the tour as is. And let me tell you something. She went with family members, and it was Javier, actually, and my husband who did the tour. I wasn't in Cuba at that point. So they did the tour. And they said that that group stayed over 
like the tour ended, let's say it ended at 3 p.m. That group stayed until 5 p.m. But their jaws were on the floor about this, asking questions about the spirituality aspects. The same thing that they wanted us to cut out, they were the ones that were extremely interested in it. And 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 so I think it's extremely important to stick to your guns, extremely important to stand in integrity, to stand in your mission, to stand in your goals, especially as it relates to, to black folks. That that's what we, that's what we owe to ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, absolutely. You said that all your work is connected clearly. That is, I think that that comes through very clear. So with all of the things that you're working on to dismantle anti-blackness, what is the legacy that you hope to leave behind? That's a good question, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> pausing. I, it's, it's that I am simply adding to the body of work. I am just another iteration. I am not the end-all be-all or know-it-all. I often say to people, you don't have to listen to me because there are millions of other people who are saying the same thing that I'm saying, who have been saying the same thing I've been saying. I'm like, in, in comparison, I am an embryo. I am a fetus. I am a zygote in all of this. I am a baby <laughs> because we have people who came before us that, was, that were doing this work. And so I think it's in continuing that African, Africanity, um, Afro-descendants, cultural manifestations. And really, I think the biggest part of any of the work that I do that more and more comes to the forefront is in humanizing, humanizing Afro-descendant people. Because when we talk about Blackness, we're not just talking about race, we're talking about a social categorization, a social condition that has material realities tied to Blackness. And so I, I actually was talking about this a lot this week about the habit, the norm to humanize white people and those approximating whiteness in every way, shape, and form. Oh, they made a mistake. Oh, they didn't know. Oh, give them another chance. Oh, they're just a boy, right? Oh, they were having a bad day. Right. Which, on one hand, that is humanity, right? We are not perfect. We have flaws. We have challenges. We have the obstacles, so on and so forth. And so humanity, by and large, in the white imagination, has only been extended to white people and the people who can closely approximate it. Everyone else, and specifically Black people, and like I said, I speak specifically to anti-Blackness because everything whiteness has built itself on is rooted in anti-Blackness. And that's why I have to be specific when I name it. And so anything that has to do with Blackness is dehumanized, is degraded. Every negative adjective you could ever think is accorded to Black people and Afro-descendants and Africans, so on and so forth. And so... For me, the legacy is continuing that hum- the human project as it relates to Black folks. And this was said actually by more than a few people that I interviewed in my docuseries, the aspect of humanity. One of the professors that I interviewed, Black Afro-Columbian, the idea of Afro-Columbian is a political notion because everything to do with Afro or Black in Colombia has to do with every negative adjective. Black means theft, Black means, and he went on and on. I'm not going to repeat the words because I don't think there's any benefit in repeating these insults that we hear on the daily Mm -hmm. and in understanding that words matter. And so we don't always have to keep repeating it because we understand what it is. And so he said, what is this work? If what is this work of identity, if not reconstructing and reimagining humanity? And that is, I always try to keep that at the forefront of my mind. When I tell certain well, everything, all the histories that I share, it's adding dimension for two and four Black folks that people in the mainstream may not see, know, or care to know. And my thing is, I'm not trying to convince anyone of Black people's humanity. That's not my job. Um, because when you dehumanize others, you dehumanize yourself. My job is just to facilitate amplify, boost our histories in any way, shape, or form that I can using the access that I have, using whatever networks I have. Mm -hmm. I am just the vehicle. 
and I keep that very centered. I am not the expert of X, Y, Z. If you want to call me an expert, that's your problem. But <laughs> I, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know, right? And so I think the legacy is always in forging toward Black liberation. And to me, liberation and freedom means me and other people like me, Afro-descendants, Black people, can be free to be their full, whole self without threat of danger or violence or a threat to their safety. And we are still not there yet. And so I would love to think and to imagine that it could be possible in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But I'm also a Virgo, like I mentioned, and I'm also cynical and I'm also realistic. And so I am just another, another student, another facilitator in this project of humanity. And so I don't, I, I guess that is the legacy that I want to continue on because it had that, that legacy had already been established. Mm-hmm. Do you think of your work specifically with Afro Latino travel as a movement? Maybe, perhaps. I think it's, like I mentioned, I think it, it adds to the body of work, mm-hmm. the ongoing work. And, and yeah, I think wherever you have Afro-descendant people and thinking about the word movement, we are a very nomadic, migratory peoples, <laughs> whether that is forced and, and trafficked, right? Whether that is looking for opportunities to better our material conditions, whether it's being in contact with other Afro-diasporians, we've always been in movement. And so... I would say, yeah, it's part of the larger movement of Afro-descendant, Afro-descendant existence, right? Mm-hmm. Quite simply. And yeah, I guess that's a short answer. It's part of the movement. It's not the movement. Sure. That would be extremely arrogant <laughs> of me to say that, right? Like, like bitch, you, you, who are you, right? Um, but it's definitely part of the larger Afro-descendant movements, which I, plural, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's fair. I think it's very accurate. When I, again, when I first learned about Afro-Latino travel, and I, I was like, what is this thing? And I started looking at it. I went to the website, went to all the, the different connected profiles and, and looked yep. at everything. <laughs> There's a lot going on, right? Mad links, mad links. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of links. I was like, oh, this is this is a movement. This is like part of the whole, the larger whole. Right. Mm-hmm. And I loved it because I it's unique in its approach, I think, to a lot of other ways of approaching specifically anti-blackness work. And I think it's a, a, a thing that people don't think of as work. When you hear travel, you think this is vacation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go sit somewhere on a beach with, you know, an umbrella in my drink. Mm-hmm. And not do anything that hurts my brain. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's the thing. That's exactly, that's the thing, right? Because we understand people want to get some sun. To me, sun is normal for me. Like, it's sunny year-round in Panama. They call, oh no, that's that's Guatemala, the land of eternal summer. Let me not infringe, because my colleague Evelyn, she's from Guatemala. And I'm like, let me not infringe on her little, her country saying, but we understand people want to take a break, want to take a load off, whatever the case is. And I think it's important when people travel to prioritize people that look like them. <laughs> and maybe they don't, they don't even look like you, right? Because we have a range of looks, right? But to prioritize Afro-descendants in wherever, whatever country they go to, because I often say to people, when you go on vacation, look at who is laboring and look at who is leisuring because those that racial divide is very stark and very visible. You will see who are the people cleaning, who are taking out the trash, and who are the people that are the front facing, sitting in the air-conditioned offices, right? And so at this time, we are not doing any in-person trips. We are building up our virtual portion and... That's what we're concentrating on right now. In the future, when it is safe to do so, we will reconsider in-person tours. I know that in some instances, Javier, he does his Black Austin tours. 
he can social distance outside and, you know, so on and so forth. But our community, the communities that we work with are hardest hit by COVID because we're talking about black communities that are intentionally marginalized and intentionally left without clinics, without health centers. There are certain instances where people may have to choose between buying soap and paying a bill. There are communities that don't have running water. And we know that Black communities are seldom high on the priority list of the state. And so we actually are not, we're we're discouraging people (laughs) from traveling in this moment. If it's a necessity because life happens, people travel for certain family obligations, right? Just to be as safe as possible. Because if, for us, it's not, it, it's more so the health and safety of those communities that we are in community with, right? Mm-hmm. I cannot say, I cannot sit here and be like, well, yeah, we're going to have a, a trip this month knowing full well that Black folks, for example, in Panama are, they're, they're, le- they're, the, they're going to be the last to get the vaccine, right? And we know that the vaccine um, hasn't been dispersed globally in any type of equitable fashion. And so I would be the biggest hypocrite to sit here and be like, yeah, we're going to have a group trip this year. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And it's been difficult to navigate because the people that we work with and in many of these Latin American countries, tourism is a huge portion of their GDP and it is a way that people make money. So we have been pivoting, doing virtual classes, doing mutual aid with organizations that we work with. And so, and so for the travel piece, I am still going to stick with only essential travel. That's really all I have to say about that, right? Because everyone does what they want, right? We're all grown. We all make our decisions. Everyone makes their decision. And, but in keeping in mind the most vulnerable of us, the essential workers, right? And we see it in the U.S. as well. Essential workers, those who cannot stay home or social distance are usually Afro-descendant people. We know that. We understand that. And so it's in also understanding that those essential workers in the U.S. who tend to be, by and large, Afro-descendant and Black people, that is the same formula that you have throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. Like, Mm -hmm. they're a consistent thread because white pathology, if anything, it is consistent. Yes, it is. And you're walking the talk right now with, so (laughs) (laughs) makes things difficult, but sounds like you're figuring out a way to navigate that. Right. And I I think that's the best that we, I think that's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. As as Black folks, we pivot all the time. We reinvent things. We reimagine things. We create new things. And because we've always had, we've had to do that. Yep. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Well, Dash, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I know you have a super busy schedule and you made time for us. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Right. Look, I make time for Black folks. That's just (laughs) like, if I can't make time for Black folks, who am I going to make time for? Like, (laughs) what am I doing with that? I hear you. I hear you. Thank you for um, for inviting me on. Yeah, I'm always here to fellowship with my my community. Definitely my pleasure. And folks, you know how we do every episode. We link in the show notes to our guests. Dash, what is the best place for our listeners to check out, to connect more with you and your work and everything that you are uh, involved in? So here's the so many links, so many because <laughs> we just have so many resources. Yes. People, people really need to check it out. But the thing is, it, all of the links are always connected. So when you get to one, you'll see the other. So to follow us on social media, I am da- Diaspora Dash or Diaspora Dash on Instagram. Afro Latino Travel. Our website is Afro Latin X Travel. I am also part of the collective Radio Caña Negra or Radio Caña Negra, and you will see that also on my personal page. Any really like if you Google Dash Harris, the thing is, there's there's a, a man that has that name, and he's a basketball player. He has his name is Dash Harris. Oh. So if you like search for me, it's either gonna be him, and it's not him, or it's gonna be the other one. And so, and so you can check out ch- check us out on Afro Latino Travel Diaspora Dash on Instagram, Afro Latino Travel on Twitter. We on Facebook. We're not on TikTok. TikTok is is too chaotic for me. Like. <laughs> I have a 
a little account and I always go in there to check things out and I run screaming out of TikTok because it's so freaking chaotic. Extra. There's like all the extra people are on, on TikTok. <laughs> it's sensory overload. Maybe because I'm like nearing a geriatric millennial and I just don't know how to function. But we have a ton of workshops and events that we do with um, Rayo Caña Negra, with Afro Latino Travel. We have summer courses, history courses. And so any of those names that I mentioned, follow one and you'll see the trail of crumbs, the breadcrumbs to the next one. And also check out Black Austin Tours. And it's exactly like that. And Afro Resistance, Afro Resistance. That is another organization that we are family with that speaks to lived Black, ex- lived Black experiences in the Americas, the biggest one being Black migration and immigration, and also Bronx Rebirth, which is the organization for another one of the Macheteras, Evelyn's organization, which they give, they, they collect donations of baby products, whatever it is, diapers, milk, formula, and they distribute it in the Bronx to parents who may need these basic supplies. So yeah, but told you about the links. Just yes. get <laughs> Click on one of them and you'll find the rest. We will uh, connect in the show notes to make it easy so that you're one click away. And I encourage you all to do the learning, do the work to do the learning. Wherever you are in the world, we've been really grateful to have built a global audience. So if you are listening to this from Ireland, knowledge is power, baby. So learn something something new. (laughs) Unlearn, unlearn to relearn. Unlearn to relearn. Thank you all so, so much for showing up season after season, week after week to listen to this show. Please continue to share. That's how we have grown. And there are three simple ways that you can support this show. You can head over to buy me a coffee forward slash. What is our forward slash? That's what she did podcast. That's what it is. And you can virtually buy us a coffee to support this show. I'm not actually drinking coffee with it. It's actually supporting the production of the show. And uh, you can share this episode on social media or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Any of those three ways is a great way to help this show continue to grow. Thank you so much for your support. I love you. I love you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. And until next time, we out. <laughs>